Well, what do you know? It is October 7th. There is no martial law. The world did not come to an end. We are not in the Great Depression. And I told you so. And it's not because I guessed right. It's because those knuckleheads on the Patriot Networks and elsewhere got involved in what you could call an epidemic, neurotic, paranoid freakout. They're idiots. Okay? Time has come when we'll have the problems, but not now. And, you know, I just hope you folks who, like, have a foot in each world can understand where this crap is coming from with guys like Quail and stuff. Excuse me, Terry. I know you get linked to him on your site, but... You know, I mean, you got more people running for the high ground than Moses did. Well, here we are. Everything is okay. And we're doing another segment of Beyond the Grassy Knoll. And with us is author Terry Melanson, uh, the book, which we've been waiting a long time for, and it's going to be well worth the wait. And that is Perfectibilists, the 18th century Bavarian order of the Illuminati. And uh, this is going to be a sweetheart. I believe the Collins Brothers got a pre-read on this. I'm not sure. Um, but I've ordered it, and folks, you can too. It's not yet out, but you can pre-order on Amazon, and I've done such. I, this one you don't want to miss. Terry also takes care of, the, of matters on conspiracyarchive.com. You can go check it out there. has a lot of posts from guests that you have heard on this show. And Terry from the Great White North, thanks a lot for being with us again. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, well, it's. Um, let me just ask you this. Did you catch wind of all this uh, chicken little stuff about, you know, Great Depression, martial law, the end of the world, we know it. I, I stopped paying attention to all that, you know. But, uh, <laughs> it kicks your head out the wall. That's all you see. It's like fear-mongering. Yeah, and it goes on every year. They do this once a year, maybe, you know, once a year and a half. and uh. Almost like they just wait for something like this to happen so they have something to write about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll never understand. I don't want to. It's be scary to think of what's in the back of these people's heads to keep this crap going. And I told you guys this about September 30th with George Green, and I told you that was baloney, and I told you August, October 7th is baloney, and October 31st is going to be baloney. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, before people's predicting stuff. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of this, I think, comes, Terry, because a lot of people think that Bush really makes policy. Like, they think they get it, but they really hate Bush, as if Bush really makes up his own mind. He doesn't. So this is not a Bush thing that's been going on the last eight years. This is something that's been told, you know, to him. And we're going to probably talk about that kind of stuff. People yeah. who run government don't run for office. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, it's, uh, oh, they've got everything happening. Ain't going to happen. There's going to be an election. It's going to be, they're going to drive all the idiots out to Christmas shop with money they don't have, the things they don't need. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like George Carlin. <clears throat> and then um, springtime, now we've got to take a look at things. And remember, Next year is the 80th anniversary of the stock market crash of 29, and we know how those bastards love numerology. But anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be 80 years, October 29. And, really? of course, we're coming up on oh, year 79 within, what, you know, about 21 days, three weeks, in fact, from today. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. Uh, Terry, uh, a lot of people may not have heard you. You've only been on, I think, about twice, maybe three times at that through all those years, and you've been exceptionally busy. Without a doubt, probably the last two, and I'm probably shortening it at that. But um, what, what was the genesis for you writing this book? What, what I mean, did you have an idea about this, or did you start something and, and then all of a sudden it trailed it further and further because this thing, you know, really had a life of its own? How did that all come about, Terry? Uh, well, I was I had I got the site there, Illuminati Conspiracy Archive, and uh, I was always into the Illuminati and stuff, and I made a site about it. And uh, 
I got pretty popular for the keyword Illuminati. And so when people search for the word, like this was back in like 2004, 2003, whenever they searched for the word, it was like number one result on uh, Google. So then all of a sudden in, in like uh, the start, towards the middle of 2004, all these people started emailing me, asking me, is it true what Dan Brown said about the Illuminati? Is it true what he said about this and true what he said about that? I didn't understand. It was like a avalanche of emails that came out of nowhere. And then so I couldn't figure it out because I wasn't a Dan Brown reader. I knew that he wrote about uh, uh, Mary Magdalene and uh, priory design and all that stuff. And I knew about the Da Vinci Code. But they said, no, there's another book that he had. And he's talking about the Illuminati in this one. So I didn't know about that. So then I... I had to look that up, what he was saying about it and everything. So I just started, I get fed up of everybody emailing me. It was like, you know, uncontrollable. Every day there was like about 50 emails brand new in my inbox. That was when Dan Brown, his uh, his Da Vinci Code shot through the roof, okay? So when they, after they read that, they decided to go look and see if he wrote anything else. And when they found out that he did... They started reading it, and it was all about the Illuminati, so they started typing in Illuminati, and that's when they came to me. But then I started thinking, maybe it's the stuff that I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to teach them what the Illuminati is not about, right? Dan Brown says it's wrong about this, and it's wrong about that. Then I started uh, second-guessing what I had written already. Like, I had a big, long page already set up for, like, a couple of years back. And I started looking, and it was contradictory, and it was just basically taken out of conspiracy books, and I just shoved it in willy-nilly without no thought about it, right? So I just started looking. I, I thought I'd better get my act together and make up a really good page that's going to be informative and get to the real truth of the matter. So that's what I did. I started ordering all these books, like back in the – especially uh, Barriere. He wrote uh, – uh, History of uh, Jacobinism, and uh, I, I picked up Proofs of Conspiracy by Robinson, but Buddy Hill was more uh, thorough and everything. He had a bunch, he had a, like the excerpts, excerpts that he had from uh, the original writings were, it's like 400 pages, and it's, and it's uh, translated perfectly. So, and I started getting all these other books, and I put up a big long page, and the Word document was about 60 pages long. <laughs> I posted it up, and that's when he interviewed me the first time there, that day when I posted it up there. Uh-huh. Yep. And that very next, that day itself that I posted it up, everybody started spreading around the, the link on the Internet. And then uh, Chris Milligan sent me an email and offered me to write a book about it. Well, what he wanted was me to put that exact same page into a book format, like to spice it up with pictures or whatever. I said, if I'm going to do it right, I said, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. You know, I'm going to do it a lot better than it already is because I had ideas to, like, get, like, different books that I never actually could acquire at the time and stuff. So, you basically, you got to go back to the, the primary sources and everything. Mm-hmm. You gotta, there's a lot of French books and even German, so I picked up a, a bit of German here and there and stuff. Yeah, um, I want to talk to you about that um, a little bit down the road. Um <clears throat> Did um did did, did Mel, was Milligan uh, and that is what that's Tri-Day Publishing by the way yeah <clears throat> uh, so th- that turned in like I didn't know how long it was going to take me and he didn't know how long so that was back in uh, August 2005 
and I just finished up the book a couple months ago, so it's almost three years. So it's a long time. I had to. If I was going to do it right, I'm going to do it right. So basically, it's everything you ever wanted to know, but didn't know that you didn't know. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> didn't know you've been fed lies all these years. Well, how long did the project take you before you you finally gave it to Chris? Well, three years, yeah. Holy Toledo. A lot of time I had to, you know, like do this when I should have been doing other things, when I should have been taking care of the bills or doing whatever, right? But we're hoping that writing a book will take care of the bills, too. Well, <laughs> Selling the book. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of dedication. There's no few ways about it. Um, yeah. did, you, uh, did you ever come to any meltdown periods where almost it got bigger than you were? Yeah, because when, when you start, like my basement is filled with books here. It's like I can't even move around anymore. Like I, and then uh, you start acquiring notes, and you get folders and folders full of notes. And then when you're all done accumulating all your notes and what you're going to write about, then you got to put it all together. <laughs> and then you're staring at a blank page. How am I supposed to do this now? Well, let me ask you this, um, and, and I'm, well, you'll know why. <clears throat> Researching can can be fun. It can be probably the most fun. It, it's definitely tedious. It's laborious. But yeah. it's almost like being a detective uh, on the trail. You're right. Or, or even it, maybe you could even liken it to um, to being a miner. You know, you just keep going down deeper and deeper and deeper, knowing you're going to find something. Uh, and then what happens is it, it almost is like addictive to a certain point, is it? When you get into it, and then you realize, hey, great that I got all this uh, data, but now I got to form it into something cohesive, right? That's the hardest part. It is. You know what I mean? It's, Anybody can be a you know, even a professional data miner, they can scour and accumulate all the data they want, but it's to put it into a, a readable presentation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very hard. Oh, and, and again, you know, it's great to come across more sources, and it's fascinating to read accounts, especially when you hop around through decades and centuries. No doubt about it, it is. It's like almost living another life in a sense when you step into doing the research. But then you finally got to tell yourself, hey, you know, the more research you do, and I, you have to do it, I guess, to an exhaustive extent, but then you have to realize, well, you got to make something out of this, so make sure that what you got is, is really worth it because, poof, you know, there's an awful lot to mold into a... Um, well, even when it came down to the last wire, like, like finally, after about two and a half years, Chris uh, sent me an email, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah, talk to me in two and a half years, sir. Still going to do the book? Like he's, that's what he asked me. He's still going to do the book. He didn't know that I, I was almost finished and was just going to ready to pass it in. Oh, that's. But I just needed I need I needed a push to to get me to you know quit. You know what I mean? Oh, jeez. I mean, he actually didn't know that you were uh, you were already deep into it, huh? No, he didn't know because I never talked to him in two and a half years. We agreed that we we're going to do it, and everything was agreed on. And he never talked to me, and I never talked to him, and I just was hoping that he wasn't going to talk to me really. <laughs> Oh boy, that's cutting it tight. Oh, hey, listen. By the way, uh, did you uh, have to read um, because of what had been going on, as you just mentioned before? Did you read Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code? Well, I went on BitTorrent actually and didn't get the, the files that they were sharing with BitTorrent, so I got it on PDF. And I read a bit of uh, Da Vinci, a few chapters, but especially I wanted to get a hand, handle on. Uh, Angels and Demons, what what they were talking to me about in these emails, so I just got the PDF on BitTorrent, put it on my computer, and 
clicked on Illuminati and pressed search and looked at every instance that he mentioned in the word just to get a feel of what, how he was taught. Like, he was saying that they started back in the Renaissance and it was like a scientific cult and added a little bit of Satanism for spice and everything. But it was all connected to the Priory of Zion, which was connected to the Da Vinci Code. So that's why he had to sort of meld the two. He only mentioned Adam Weishaupt one, one time. It was only as uh, a cursory mention that they, they were uh, against the churches. But uh, what do you think the purpose of that book was? I mean, do you think that he was commissioned, so to speak, in, in quotations to write that, to kind of like get people off the trail of the real deal? I liken that a lot to the movie National Treasury. Or do you think he was just he's just a fiction writer, a mystery writer, who decided to pick that particular genre to do something uh, on? What do you think? I think it's a ladder. He was probably just a fan of the mystery, like anybody else. I remember back when I first started into conspiracies, Holy Blood, Holy Grail was my favorite book. I mean, I was I was addicted to all that stuff. I was right into it, just like they were. <clears throat> and uh, but then I noticed as I was I was getting more into it, like my faith in in the Bible and what the Bible taught me about Christ and everything that was happening. I was sort of getting far and farther and further away from it. So by the end of it there, I was almost believing with the Masons and, and the Hermeticists and the Alchemists, I was sort of believing their whole shtick, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a trap to get you in, right? If right. you start liking it and you read all about it, next thing you know, you're into it. And you didn't even know that you're into it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think a lot, of, a lot of folks who've read that were looking for um, more support for that whole uh, fiction about uh, Christ and Magdalene, and of course, yeah. you know, the Merovingian order. Um, and, and I didn't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, whether he spur- spurred that, or that kind of was happening anyway, and this kind of uh, flamed the uh, fans of the 80s, it was a big rage. It was on the top, uh, top New York bestsellers list for like uh, 20 weeks or something. Holy Blood, Holy Grail was one of the most all-time selling books. So it was already a phenomenon before. It just picked up and basically he updated it with people that were already fans of uh, Richard Way and uh, which the other guy that did Holy Blood, Holy Grill. There was three of them anyway. Yeah. Uh, and let me, ask you, let me ask you, by the way, because that, that's where I was going, and that is, okay, now, you have read Holy Blood, Holy Grail, yeah. and, and we know what happened <laughs> with the court case, but do you think that uh, you yourself, do you think Brown ripped uh, uh, those guys off? Uh, so I, I never read it in, uh, thoroughly enough to actually say it. I'm not sure, but from what they were, what I read about it, uh, the Guardian had a few good stories about it there. Mm-hmm. It was all that was happening. It kind of looked like it to me. I mean, but he he got off on it, eh? Is that what happened? Yeah, he uh, he, not the pay. he beat the rap. <laughs> <laughs> they even he put an anagram for his uh, main character. Uh, Robert Langdon was an anagram of uh, Richard Lee. Okay. That's what yeah. that was about, huh? All right. Interesting. All right. Um, let me ask you also, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever asked you this, and you were around before I was. How long have you had uh, the website Conspiracy Archive uh, up? Uh, <clears throat> let me see. A little bit after September 11th. I was, uh, I first got on the net around 2000. And I get I started my own site on GeoCities, and 
that was when uh, Paul Watson was first starting out. Even he had his when he first made his propaganda matrix. Mm-hmm. That was on GeoCities. So we exchanged each other's email. Hey, you want to trade links? Yeah, right on. Like your site. That was back in 2000. That's before he even knew Alex Jones. But then I started writing original stuff. Eh, I wasn't just taking from other people. So then I started getting noticed, and the, the stuff I was writing about slowly rose on the on the search engines for that particular subject. And said, "Well, it's time to get my own domain." So I picked Conspiracy Archive because it had conspiracy in the the actual domain name. So it's good to have the actual word that you're targeting in the domain name itself. So then I just transferred it all over to there and just continued. So I started basically in 2000. Um, did you, are you in touch with Watson anymore? No, no. He still has a link to me on his uh, site, though, but I haven't talked to him in a long while. <clears throat> yeah. I actually tried to talk to him a few times. He never, <laughs> never gave me an email back, so I just stopped. Um. <clears throat> regard to the Illuminati, people use it incorrectly so, and I probably am guilty of it to a certain extent because I use it as an umbrella term. Yeah. You know, just because I don't want to get into the whole nine yards, and I just take a look and I call it the Illuminists or the Illuminati. But what do you call them, though? You know what I mean? I I used to get mad at that and correct everybody when they said that, but I really don't care anymore. Call them whatever you, you want. But, I mean, call them the elite, call them the Illuminati, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Well, well, as things. long as the real story is out there, right? you got something to point to somebody. If you want to know the real story, here it is, cool, look at it. Yeah, but I must admit, it's it's good not to go too far afield. And if you get involved yeah. with people who understand what's going on, then you got, I don't want to say you got to watch what you say, but now you have to be more precise, let's put it that way. But yeah, well, it's better, it's better to be, actually, because even the story a couple of days ago, you see them shirts on uh, Macy's? Oh. I don't. I don't know if you you look at uh, what's going on at Infowars.com, but no. I have them. I have them in my feed reader, and it's good to look at what's going on in the news and stuff, right? So whatever I see it all all day. I I gotta look at all the news sources because that's my job, right? So I saw it the other day. They had a story, and uh, I guess they're selling uh, Illuminati shirts at Macy's. It's called uh, Illuminati uh, Rag Tag or something. Some company, and they're making. Sort of like uh, promoting promoting the occult and masonry, and they got all these symbols on it, and the all-seeing eyes on it, and alchemical symbols and everything. The Illuminati in big letters. They're selling it at Macy's. Well, I got to put that on my Christmas shopping list. <laughs> More precisely, my Xmas shopping list. But it's the, the description that uh, it was just by Infowars. The big description: Illuminati this, Illuminati that, Illuminati. The Illuminati taking over the world, the Illuminati doing this, the Illuminati that, the Illuminati this. Well, so I, once once people get into that mode, they start doing it and they use it, and then and then by the end of it, you're not even sure what they're talking about anymore. Who who are these Illuminati? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have a tendency to call them Illuminists, yeah. uh, mainly because they all figure that you know that they are. I mean, they they believe <laughs> Satan. They are Luciferian. And you know, and that pretty much sums it up. But that is not really the proper noun of Illuminati. So let me ask you: When did that first come up? Was this Weishaupt's baby? Uh, yeah, if it's the 
basically, yeah, it, if you look at any encyclopedia, like the, the good ones back in the start of the 20th century, right, they had a lot of good ones, and they were still doing good work back then. You, they would start out, like, back in the 15th century, there was the, the Guelphs in France. They called themselves the Illuminati, and then they go into uh, the Adam Brados in Spain that uh, Ignatius Loyola was uh, probably a part of. And then they mentioned them, and then they go in in the 16th century with the Rosicrucians. They mentioned that the Rosicrucians called themselves the Illuminati, and some of the some of them even mentioned that uh, Kabbalists even called themselves the Illuminati. So they go down the long list, but then they end it with. But when most people talk about Illuminati, they say they're talking about the 18th century uh, Bavarian Illuminati that was started by Bishop. Uh, you hit a lot of um, a lot of things in that last uh, uh, last bit there, Terry. So um, I'll, I'll take this as best I can. Yeah. Um, I want to. I'm going to stick just with Illuminati for a second. But I want to go back to a group that you talked about, which is probably a seminal group with regard to uh, the Sons of Loyola. Um, but uh, Illuminati and the Bavarian Illuminati. Did Weishaupt have to distinguish that from another Illuminati? Why Bavarian Illuminati? what happened was when he instituted his uh, secret society, it was basically within uh, purview of uh, Ingolstadt University in Bavaria. So he was a professor there, and he was trying to get, he was trying to teach his students about the the enlightenment that was going on. He was trying to give them books that were current for a person of reason back then, because Bavaria was basically back in the medieval stages at that time. France had already gone through the Enlightenment and England a century before even, but they were still backwards sort of ways, and uh, so that's what he was trying to do, bring them up to speed, and so Ingolstadt University was run run by the Jesuits, so they weren't having none of that, right? Even though the, the Jesuits were supposedly disbanded in 1773, but afterwards, they even, they had to keep some of the professors on there because they were the only ones that could teach like certain things, like uh, uh, repetitor. I don't know what, what you call it. Like you got to talk about your prayers and stuff, and uh, it was all to do with uh, religion and theology and stuff. They had to keep them guys in there because they were the most knowledgeable subject. But that was their biggest mistake because they they started scheming again, scheming against Weishaupt. They even had him. They almost had him kicked out there, and uh, they took up away his pay for a while. And but there was a fight going on with him and the Jesuits, and he hated them like there was no tomorrow. So he, he instituted that secret society to fight, fight with them. Not only in his university, but all around, everywhere he, he had the idea. So his first idea to call them was perfectibilistic. So and then people said to him, perfectibilistic. <laughs> that sounds too corny. <laughs> I forget the exact word they said. It was something like that. There. And uh, so he, he acquiesced to them, and uh, he called them uh, Illuminati in Orden. And uh, so that's the order of the Illuminati. Hmm. All right. I, I was going to ask you what the definition of perfectibilist is, uh, and that would be? Well, there's a long tradition that goes back, like the perfectibility of man. Basically, you start out, you, you perfect yourself with reason and uh, 
morals and stuff like that and uh, get more knowledgeable and then you don't you don't have to go by the church anymore nobody can tell you what to do till till the the end uh goal is apotheosis really of what the whole enlightenment was all about so the enlightenment the enlightenment and enlightenment sorry really means uh the illuminated right mm-hmm. if you're enlightened you're you're illuminated so I there, actually there's a chapter I talk a little bit about that. So it's it all ties in the same thing. It means the same thing. Lucifer, the bearer of light, you know, wisdom, and, and that's why they worship the owl too. So there's there's a lot of things that like symbolism upon symbolism. They try to build on it and basically make a play out of it. And so when they do the rituals, they have everything to it all cross references itself basically. So really, what we have here. Is, is what we have to this to this day. When you look at a lot of occult religions that say that you know you can be as God and you can be perfected into a, a higher self, it, yeah. it's kind of Gnostic also in its roots. So what you've got here are the ones who are, shall we say, perfected. Exactly, it is Gnostic. It's totally Gnostic. Yeah, <clears throat> and it always seems to revolve around that kind of you know theme about you being a God in yourself, and and it's always talking about the motif of light. Enlightened and all that, so yeah. uh, it, 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 it's still there in a, in a lot of religions t- uh, to this uh, to this day. There's a picture too. Uh, remember, uh, I don't know if you heard about the first encyclopedia that was ever made. It was in uh, 1751 in France. They made it. So the Enlightenment, <clears throat> the philosophes they called them, mm-hmm. philosophers Diderot and uh, Diderot and uh, a few others. I forget the others, but. That was the first encyclopedia. Well, when they put out that issue in 1751, on the very front cover is Lucifer. He's standing there with his uh, caduceus and a flame atop his head with his wings, and he's on top of all this uh, knowledge paraphernalia, and there's like a square and compass below him and everything. There's a globe beside him, but it's Lucifer right there in the front. First issue. Also going back to... um I think might be the first traces of, of all this would be uh, the Alumbrado, right? Well, not really. They were they were kind of like uh, mystics, ascetics. Like uh, I guess you could call them Gnostic. I'm not really sure what their beliefs were, but uh, there's no connection whatsoever. It's just like you know how people call themselves certain things over the years. Like when the Rosicrucians appeared in 1614 with their uh, Demo Fraternitatis, their big, uh, it was like they sprung themselves on the world all of a sudden. And then after that, you never heard about, it was all the rage for like 40 or 50 years. And then uh, there was a bunch of wars that happened in Europe, and uh, then you never heard about them after that. But then a few more other uh, groups started popping up, and they started calling themselves Rosicrucians. But you can never definitively tie them together as a continuation from from one group to the other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no proof that they have been continued. Like, there's no document that says this was a grandmaster here and it was passed on to him and him and here's the connection, here's the link. There's nothing like that. Is it believed that Loyola came out of the Alambrado? Well, he was questioned by the, by the Inquisition a couple of times for, on that point because he was hanging around in the, in the same area as him, it was, uh, I forget, 
I forget the name of it, but anyways, he, he was questioning about it, and uh, he denied it outright, and uh, I guess they believed him. But anyways, I don't believe him because all all that stuff that he was talking about is uh, meditation techniques and stuff. That's probably straight from from the group itself, you know what I mean? Well, it was interesting that they came out of Spain, did they not? And that's where Loyola came out of. Yeah, well, they were at, at the exact same university in... Uh, what was the university? I don't know, but they were they were walking around the streets doing all the prayers and trying to recruit people. And uh, Loyola was seen associating with a few of the members, so that's why he was called in to explain himself if he was a part of the group or not. And he denied it and everything, and they called him in a second time and denied it again. But then all of a sudden he makes this Jesuit order and he starts going along the same mystical lines that was happening. But there's not very much information on the Alambrados. There's a, a really good one that I have a link on one of my pages that I wrote a while ago. Now, Loyola had passed uh, before um, Weissach uh, came to any kind of prominence. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's about 200 years after. Right, it's that far? Okay, because I figured well, Loyola uh, died somewhere, what, in uh, the mid uh, 1600s? Pardon? Did, uh, did um, Loyola die in the mid 1600s? Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. He was questioned in about 1526. Uh, oh, jeez. Al was the residence that he was at from 26 to 27, 1526 to 27. And uh, he actually did converse with and did know Illuminus, this author says, at a, at a university place, and he was questioned by the... They were called Illuminus. That's what Alumbrado means. It's the Spanish name for Illuminati. Okay. But <clears throat> he denied it outright, so... But who knows? All right. Who, who are we going to believe? There's not even much information on what the Alumbrados believed. There's... Uh, they probably believed in Gnosticism or something like that. All right, and then what I'm thinking about is is um, Loyola uh, begets um, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuit Order, in what, around 1548, something like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. It's on his birthday. I think that's the beginning of, of well, as what we know of the Jesuit Order. Yeah, Bishop was born in 1748. Okay. You know, did you come across, not that this was uh, something you were going to come upon necessarily, but I wonder, was there a handing off of power? Do you know uh, when Loyola obviously was uh, getting a little long in the tooth? Was there any other uh, central figure? Because it kind of doesn't seem like there is until later on. And yet, you know, I haven't studied uh, the Society of Jesus as, as much as others have to follow some kind of line of, um, of um, leadership, if you will. Uh, not really, not really sure about that. Yeah, uh, and also didn't really study too much about the Jesuits. Uh, another thing uh, that you mentioned also, and I find this interesting as well. I've come lately, and I think I mentioned this to you in a conversation we might have had a little while ago or whatever. That, um, and it seems to be the case in Europe. This is what I've been told anyway. That although everybody points to, to Freemasons necessarily as, as, as the heavy occult uh, types, that actually it's the Rosicrucians who are even beyond that. And don't mind the fact that people throw tomatoes at the Freemasons. Would you agree that the Rosicrucians are stealthy and probably more powerful and longer running than any of the occult societies? 
Yeah, because Rosicrucian beliefs are at the top of at the top of the the very top of every occult group known. Uh, when Crowley started uh, hanging around with the OTO, when they, when he got up to the higher levels of the OTO, it was all about Rosicrucianism. When he was in uh, Order of the Golden Dawn, one of the orders that he founded, the top tier of that was all about Rosicrucianism. And there's the Miz, uh, Mizram, Mizrite, uh, Memphis Mizram, right? Which goes all the way back, even it's, but there's a lot of links even to the Illuminati, which I uncover a bit in the book. And, uh, the top tier rank of that, it's all about Rosicrucianism, all about the, the myths that were told going back to the 1600s. It's basically in, uh, I don't know if you heard about them wondering, uh, wondering bishops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's all Rosicrucianism, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that's beautiful. Where did you pick that up, by the way? Not that I doubt you, but, you know, Lavenda was pushing these wandering bishops, and it didn't sound right. I mean, I, I know that they're out there, but, but Lavenda hides a lot of stuff. Well, I guess they're, they're revered in the occult world. It's like they're, they're the unknown superiors, the unknown masters. Even uh, Gnostic Christianity is what they call it, right? Uh, Crowley, that's what he called it. And these wandering bishops go around and they initiate people, and it's all it all has to go back to the the old beliefs with the family fraternitatis and the Rosicrucians, Hermeticism, alchemy, everything. But that's that's the top of all the occult groups. You're right, Rosicrucianism. And, and I think I'm correct in saying this because of <clears throat> um, well, it, this is as, as, as I understand it because of Bacon and because of others at that time. Even the first settlers here were Rosicrucians, as far as I could tell. The ones that went to Virginia and such, I mean, besides when you get the uh, the religious uh, uh, migrant waves that go up to New England and such. But those yeah. that came down to the Tidelands, the Cavaliers, were Rosicrucians, as far as I could tell. Yeah, there's a real good book you should read. Uh, let's see, here it is. I want to tell everybody while, while Terry's looking, we are talking to Terry Melanson. Uh, we're talking about, actually we're talking about kind of the, the, the prefatory items to his book, Perfectibilists, the 18th century uh, Bavarian order of the Illuminati. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how you can get that in a second. Uh, Terry, did you hit upon that um, yeah, resource? Yeah, it's called The Refiner's Fire. It's by a professor of uh, religion at Cambridge University. It's one of the best books dealing with the origins of Mormon cosmology from 1644 to 1844. So it goes all into the Americas, all the different occult streams that were going on back then. Mm-hmm. Talks about exactly what you're talking about. The settlers came along. They're all into Hermeticism, Rosicrucianism. It traces it all back up to the beliefs of uh, Joseph Smith and everything. If you ever get a chance, I recommend it to anybody. All right, one more time. Give us that title. <laughs> it's called The Refiner's Fire. Uh, and the subtitle is The Making of Mormon Cosmology. Well, that's going to steam a whole bunch of Mormons, but we can't deny the fact that there is a great deal of similarity between a lot of the symbology between the, the Mormons and, uh, I, I would say, you know, either Rosicrucianism or, or Freemasonry. Well, basically, this book goes into the, the roots of what they believed in, right? So you are talking about the setters came across and they had all these beliefs. Well, that's what he had to dig into to get to the bottom of it, right? So there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's a, even if you're not interested in Mormonism per se, if you're interested in the occult beliefs that were going on 
back then in the 1600s and 1700s. That's the book to get. <clears throat> All right, now let's talk about your book, by the way, also. Um, uh, it is the only outlet right now to go to Amazon. What is the situation there as far as uh, ordering? Pretty sure uh, <clears throat> you can get it uh, anywhere, really. Borders, uh, here we get a big outlet here in Chapters. You can order it there. Just type in Perfectibilis, and there should be all kinds of different ways to buy it. Do you have anything uh, about the book on your website? No, I don't, actually. I just have that link to... I got a new one called uh, Bavarian... What is it? Uh, BavarianIlluminati.info, and I'm going to start putting a translation okay. of the, the original writings of the Illuminati, because... They were never translated into English before. It's like 800 pages, two books. So I'm going to take it a little bit at a time. <laughs> the translation I got here at home is in French, so I'm pretty fluent in French to be able to actually go through it. I'll still have to use a translator here and there, but it's going to take me a while to do it. But it's, if it's not going to be me, I don't think anybody's going to ever do it, you know? But you are going to begin another website. Do I have that correct? Well, it's already there. I, I okay. took the first twenty some, first fourteen pages of the original writings. That was my first post. It's kind of like a WordPress setup. And my next post was uh, an interview that uh, Henry Crabb Robinson did. Mm-hmm. With uh, he went he went to Gotha in 1804 to go and meet Adam Weishaupt. <laughs> he walks into his room. And he says, "Hey, how's it going? Can I have an interview?" And he wrote about it in his diaries. And I saw it on Google Google Print. So I, I took I took that and I posted it up there. You can see an interview with Adam Bishop in 1804. Interview with a vampire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what's the website again? It's uh, bavarian-illuminati.info. And... Eventually, I'm, I think I'm going to put a bit about the book there because that's going to be yeah, yeah, you got to do that. about the Bavarian naughty. And I would ask you also to put it up on your website somewhere prominently on that home page. Yeah, um, yeah. So people can take a look, even if uh, you could slide a couple of sample pages or something in there. But, I don't want to be a hawker, eh? You know, try to hawk it on people, but I'll, I'll do it subtly. Um, uh, don't worry about hawking it. <laughs> you write these <laughs> I, I didn't write it for money, man. I wrote I it because know. it needs to be done. I was. I had no intention of writing any book. It was just going to be an article. And Look what happened. Yeah, Milligan convinced me into doing it. <laughs> Three years later. I, I thought, if I refuse right now, somebody else is going to do it, and they're going to do a bad job at it, you know? It better be me. <laughs> hey, can anybody go to that website now and read it, or uh, are you keeping that hidden until you're ready to go up with it? The uh, Bavarian Illuminati yeah. one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can. It's, uh, I got a link to it, actually, right on this sidebar of every page of my site. Right beside your link there and uh, that other guy you said, I forget his name. Quail. Who? Quail. Quail, yeah. Well, he's been giving me some links, man. He's been linking to me left and right. I, I think I'm even going to link back to David Hickey. Uh. <laughs> he's been linking to my site. I, I'm telling you, the traffic they're giving me, I don't know what, what I'm doing. I, I think they might like my, my blog. Rents has even linked to me. We're getting a lot of traffic lately. Well, that's good news for you. I'm glad. I'm glad for that. But, um, you know, Quail and his buddy, the Hawk, are the ones that got everybody running for shelter. So, you know, and um, he, he... I never heard him. I just uh, I saw that I, I was getting all 
all kinds of traffic from this guy. I thought I'd better give him a link back, you know. I don't even know anything about him, but well, he's got yeah. a lot of headlines there. It's pretty good. Yeah, uh, as long as they come your way. But uh, <laughs> they are they are definitely interesting, bro, let me tell you. Um, also, folks, if you want to uh, ask a question to Terry, by all means, do so. Uh, you can call the toll-free at 888-333-9009. That's 888-333-9009. And I had nothing to do with picking those numbers out. That was Verizon that did that. I, I, I cannot take any credit for whatever kind of symbolism. What, what was it? What was the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't even hear it. It's 888-333-9009. So, anyway, wow. it's got all the basic food groups in there, cult-wise, I guess. But, yeah. anyway, I had nothing to do with that. So, folks, if you want to call in, please do so. Uh, you can ask a question of Terry. We do have him for the two hours, which is kind of neat. Also, in the second hour, the Collins Brothers is going to come on, and we're going to uh, talk about a lot more about the nuts and bolts about the book, without a doubt. Um, <clears throat> by the way, uh, am I wrong? In, in, in we, he kind of said he, he had a, a – Weissup had a sort of an angst for um, – the Jesuits, but was he not kind of, wasn't he involved with them to a certain extent? I mean, if they were at Ingolstadt, that was kind of known as the Jesuit education uh, well, center, wasn't it? That's that's what it is. It's uh, it's uh, basically they're insinuating because he was a part of the university, he's got to be with them, you know what I mean? But right. they don't know exactly what happened. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, to get to the bottom of things. So, like, his quarrels were, like, uh, like uh, revered, they they were like uh, unbelievable. Like they almost had him fired. They they took his money away. His wife almost starved. I mean, he hated them tooth and nail. He wanted to kill them. Actually, you know. So it was a, and he was he was uh, adopted by uh, some guy who was the curator of the University of Ingolstadt. I forget his name. Ickstadt, Baron von Ickstadt. So when Weichhoff's uh, uh, father died when he was about five years old. He was put into the care of uh, his godfather, which was Baron von Ickstadt. And he, at that time, he was the curator of the University of Ingolstadt. But he had all kinds of books and everything. He had 4,000 books in his personal library. It was, it was untold of back then. Uh, even uh, Jefferson, when he gave, when the, when the library was burned down, uh, the Library of Congress burned down, he gave his own collection to supplant that. I guess his own collection was only seven thousand. So Vaishop had, you know, pretty close to it, four thousand. He had access to all them books. It was all about the Enlightenment and everything. So he basically self taught himself. He was a prodigy really and he was started teaching there when he was about eighteen years old. But he was brought up by the Jesuits. He was taught at Jesuit schools, which every Bavarian did it in then those days. But his uh a raging anti-Jesuit, you know, he hated them with a passion. He wanted to get rid of them, and so he he was his quarrels before Bishop were legendary as well. And when uh, when the the order was suppressed by the Pope in 1773, Bishop was already professor there, and uh, somebody had to take over the the chair of uh, chair of what. University or the department? Yeah. Chair of Canon Law. Somebody had to take it over because so, the Jesuits were gone. So they instituted, actually, his godfather instituted him. Okay, there's a paragraph that I wrote about it. 
after the Jesuits. You want me to read it? Sure, by all means. Okay. Pope Clement the the Fourteenth dissolves the Jesuit order. Weishaupt becomes the first layman to occupy the chair of canon law. The prestigious position was held by Jesuit for the previous 90 years. Weishaupt's new title, Chair of Ecclesiastical Law and Practical, Practical Philosophy, was procured by Ixtat in pursuance of an anti-Jesuit staffing policy. However, Ingolstadt University continued to employ some former members of the Dissolved Society of Jesus. In many cases, they simply had no choice. In particular, since the necessary qualifications in others were lacking, the Jesuits continued as masters of the faculty of theology. Ixtad had made a great mistake in allowing this to occur, for immediately the Jesuits began to conspire. By now, Weishaupt's liberal views had already become apparent to faculty and students alike. Weishaupt, therefore, became their number one enemy. His appointment to the chair of canon law was in no way acceptable. Jesuits found some allies in the law department, and soon many university professors began protesting against Weishaupt's nomination. Ixtad responded by issuing a formal complaint to the Bavarian elector about the insubordination of its professors. Three titular heads of the Faculty of Law in turn countered Ixtad by accusing him of nepotism in the appointment of uh, Weishaupt. And that... Uh, so they formed a faction with Ixtas' nephew and uh, Joseph Edward von Weinbach, professor of uh, law and the curator himself. The quarrel within the institution continued and at one point deteriorated to such an extent that Weishaupt was even denied his salary. So they were fighting back and forth, but this was going on even before 1773, right? <laughs> like Their fights were legendary. Because they wanted to teach the Enlightenment views, rationality, reason, and he was taught by them, but he wanted to use the methods that he he sussed out by being educated by them against them, so he could fight them tooth and nail. And one of one of the one of the articles that I wrote just a uh, couple of weeks ago was to drive home this point of the Jesuits weren't were not in uh, cahoots with the Illuminati; they were enemies through and through. Basically, the whole narrative of the story that w- went on, like. The, People just didn't make this stuff up. Like, this is the real stuff here. Like, people have an agenda. They want to associate the Jesuits. Like, you, you know, some people want to do that because, well, she was ran by the Jesuits. Uh, Vaishab was appointed uh, head of the canyon law, so, well, he must be a Jesuit. You know what I mean? It's like uh, damnation by insinuation. Like, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what I'm surprised about? Um, because of how nasty they can be, that Weishaupt actually... You know, got in their faces and and didn't wind up suicided. Well, he had protection, man. He earns the second Duke of Gotha. That's the direct, uh, not descendant, direct uh, uh, progeny, not progeny. What's the, what's the opposite of descendant? Ancestor. The direct ancestor of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Like this is the the Saxe Gotha line which was continued in the Sachs-Gotha-Kohlberg uh, back in the, in the 1800s. And then, uh, so when when the kings were instituted on the throne, they were they were known as uh, Gotha-Kohlberg. But when the First World War started going on, they wanted to change their name to, to disassociate themselves. So they changed it to the Windsors. But they are the, the direct uh, 
descendants of uh, Ernst II, Duke of uh, Saxe-Gotha. He was the protector of Weishaupt. He was one of the people that was uh, members of the Illuminati, and he, was, he knew all the secrets. As a matter of fact, when he protected him, he protected him for 45 years. Even after he died, his family kept on protecting him. And that guy went to Gotha to interview him in 1804. He interviewed him in the castle of Gotha. He was he never moved. He couldn't go anywhere because he had a he would he would have got killed. He would have got assassinated. Like his uh, escape from Ingolstadt is like uh, the escape of Paul Revere or something, you know. So lots of intrigue. There was lots of things that happened. I go step by step about exactly what happened too in the book. All right, so he had a little—he was a bit of a heavyweight then, having uh, that yeah, kind of bloodline, huh? And, and uh, there's there's letters that was going back and forth between the Bavarian Elector and and the Duke of uh, Saxe-Gotha, like saying, you know, give him up, you know, I want him right now, and he was refusing to do it, you know. So he gave him protection, and he actually gave him a job and a salary, and uh, all his Bishop did for his 45 years was basically took a philosopher. Started publishing uh, anti-Kantian philosophy. He was, he was right against Kant for some reason. You know, this all takes place after the Reformation as well. Was Germany any kind of, um, I don't want to say stronghold, but had it had it swung Protestant uh, by the time um, of the oh, yeah, Illuminati? There was principalities, and there, there was like 400 different prince, principalities in uh, Germany. And right. It was called the the Holy Roman Empire of the Holy Roman German Empire. Well, you know how people say the Holy Roman Empire? Mm-hmm. It was actually the Holy Roman German Empire. Okay. So it was like all this area now that were, where Belgium was and France was basically always the same, but a little bit bigger, and uh, basically Poland and all them places. It was all bunched into one, and the emperor was ahead of it. Right? Emperor who sat at Vienna. Were the, uh, were the Jesuits, you know, during that time, though, were they on um, tender hooks at all? Did they have to watch themselves more or less in case of expulsion? How did that go about that time? Uh, they were getting expelled from everywhere, all throughout Europe. People like Spain, I think, was one of the first ones to kick them out, and uh, France kicked them out in uh, 1764, I think, and uh, Portugal was one. So it was basically all coming to a head, and it was all occurring basically when the Enlightenment was uh, coming into uh, its own power, right? So all these people were starting to believe different things and didn't want to believe what people were telling them anymore. Didn't want to take the crap from the ecclesiastical authorities anymore. And they wanted to be free thinkers. So it was all coming to a head, and when when the Jesuits were finally uh, disbanded in 1773, that was basically Weishaupt's time to, you know, try and institute a secret society to even try to put the stranglehold on them even more. So they were always in the background. When they got disbanded, there's 20,000 of them roaming around Europe, you know, and they're all over the place. And some some of the kings said, screw you to the Pope. We're not getting rid of them. Some some did and said, okay, yes, sir. We're going to kick them all out. But most of them didn't, and they just basically went underground, and and Weishaupt knew this out of more than anybody, because after they were gone, he was still having fights with them at the university. So it was his godfather, the curator. They, they couldn't get rid of him. So it, actually, after his godfather died, he didn't have an ally anymore. So his, his godfather died right before the woman got birth in uh, 1776. 
now that I think about it, that's probably what happened. He needed to do something real quick, you know. So he because he had, a, he had an ally. Now this this, this powerful ally is gone. So that's probably one of the reasons why he had to institute the secret society to fight them. And by the way, was there any kind of military arm that Weishaupt um, marshaled for the Bavarian Illuminati, or was this mainly uh, doctrinal and uh, ideological? No, not as not that I know of. I don't think they 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 wanted to. They had grand plans for everything. Like when when they found the letters that there were uh, the big cast of letters that they delivered in uh, eighteen seventeen eighty six. There was all kinds of plans that they had for the world. They wanted to basically a technocracy taking over the whole world. One one world technocracy is basically what it was, you know, and a lead at the top. As far as I know, they never had you no. Know, they had their hopes very deep into the military. That's one of the reasons that they get the Bavarian authorities so much in arms because they they discovered that they're looking at the list of all these people, and most of them, you know, were generals and uh, generals, colonels, people right in the military academies too. They had control of a bunch of military academies all over the place. They had control of a lot of places that were teaching people about religion too. That's another thing why they didn't like them, right? Because mm-hmm. they were bringing up priests that actually believed, that said they were believing what the church was telling them. But no, no, they were getting indoctrinated into another thing, you know. What I want to do is, i got a couple of uh, questions I want to clean up more or less, and then we're going to get into uh, something a little bit more, um, um, I guess, uh, horizontal, if you will, uh, when we bring on the Collins brothers. But um, And that's why I've been saying to some of the, uh, good stuff also for their for their appearance, but uh, I'm just wondering too. Um, <coughs> on the cover of the book, Perfectibilists, uh, what does the PM and the CU stand for in that open page book? Okay, yeah, that's that's one of the the aha moments. Uh, I'm hoping that the reader's going to get when they get it. You know what I mean? Okay. So <laughs> I, it, it's explained in, uh, in the chapter book? three. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> You know what I mean? Hey, I you're gonna you're gonna come across this paragraph, and you're gonna see you're gonna see the part where I explain what PMVC actually stands for, and you're gonna say, ah, okay, that's what the cover's all about. Okay, fair enough. And you also have um, uh, the, um, I guess uh, you know, the, kind of the Masonic triangle up there, um, but inside that you have the owl. And I was guilty of this when I told you this, and I don't know <laughs> if it's because of Jones or whatever. I'm not going to blame it on necessarily, but I think that's where I got it. Um, but the owl is not is not the symbol for Moloch. No, no. Moloch it is the symbol for Minerva, Athena. The like, well, we're talking about the that that seal that you see on the front. Yes. Is basically the 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 seal of the Minerva class, Minerval. They call it Minerval. Minerval. Yeah. Okay. So, but now, is that a, is that a certain rank or anything in any kind of order? Yeah, basically, uh, what they did was when they started making up their degrees, Vaishab didn't basically know anything about secret societies. It was just groping in the dark. This was before even he he got initiated into Freemasonry. He started his order in 1776, and he only got initiated into Masonry in '79. So that's a three-year time period when he was trying to do all his uh, rituals and put the degrees up and everything. So he was just groping in the dark, taking from books here, taking from books there, basically just putting it in a hodgepodge 
but one of the things that he was fascinated by was was the old Greek myths and especially about Athena and the owl, the owl of wisdom. So one of the one of the classes, the grades, was called the Minerva class. It was kind of like the second degree. Mm-hmm. Start out a novice, and then you go to the Minerva, and then you go into uh, eventually the three degrees of masonry after that. But it sounds like it's like a minor degree, but it actually wasn't. They called it the Miner, Minerva Assembly, the Minerva Churches. So wherever they, they started uh, infiltrating into different towns and stuff, the first thing they did was set up a Minerva Lodge, right? That's where everybody assembled. So it, no matter if you were a duke, a prince, a count, a baron, whatever, you had to start in that class. And this is a class where they indoctrinated you where they read all the books, like all the classics, like uh, uh, Seneca and uh, Plato and all the all them, them guys there. And uh, and you had to write in your diary about all your fears and your wants in life. So they had a big, long record of you. And you had to constantly write in and, and what you saw about, like, the, the way people acted around you. There's a thing they called it back, like when they looked at your uh, kind of like body language, but they had a word for it back then. So it was basically like a psychological conditioning that the all CNI was around me at all time, and this was the academy, the Mineral Academy. So it was integral to everything that, that was going on. Okay, I'm sorry. Basically, if they had a seal on the front cover, that's a seal. That's my interpretation of the seal that they had. Actually, there is a description of the seal that I go over in my book, and it describes it, and I just basically drew it out the way my interpretation of it. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold over the two questions till we come back after the hour break. We're going to break for about four minutes, Terry. Okay. Folks, we're talking with uh, Terry Melanson. He's the author of Perfectibilists, the 18th Century Bavarian Order of the Illuminati. You can take a look at that on Amazon. Or I guess, as, as Terry was saying, um, <clears throat> Uh, on any of the major sites. I just went to Amazon, and that's, that's where I purchased it. You can take a look at it there, if you will. And um, They're actually selling it cheaper than they should be selling it. You know what I mean? It, it looked like that to me. I mean, they, they're, they're even saying it's 350 pages. There's probably about 150 more than that, really. I know. So you're going to get you're getting a good deal if you're going to get it from there. Uh, I would say yes, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised. All right, listen, we're going to take a break there. We'll be back in four minutes with the Talents Brothers. Well. 